Welcome to Caritas Christi, a real and raw podcast with real women and real faith, where we apply the feminine genius to look at the current events of this world, our faith lives, and other things that are relevant to young Catholic women today. Thank you for joining us. Happy Thursday. Hello, and welcome back to Caritas Christi. This is our third Deus Vault episode, and we have a special guest on today. We're going to have her introduce herself with our inspiration in just a moment. But first, we're going to pray the Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in ora mortis nostri. Amen. In nomine Patri, et Filio, Spiritui Sancto. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, so you can okay. go ahead with your inspiration. Awesome. Okay, so I actually just thought of another one. So we're going to have two inspirational quotes today. The Ooh. first one comes from Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. He's a he's a homie of mine. Um, each of us is the result of a thought of God. Each of us is willed. Each of us is loved. Each of us is necessary. And the second one that's kind of been like the motto for my life the last couple of months is a. Um, something from St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, who I think was just recently canonized, but she's been a blessed for a long time, especially in the traditional realm of the church. Um, so she says that everything that happens is a message to me of God's great love for my soul. So I think that's a pretty good one. Nice. Whoa, I felt that. <laughs> I Wasn't there, there was a book that um, was out recently. I feel like um, one of the podcasts was doing a book study on Elizabeth of, the, of Trinity. Maybe. The Trinity. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you love saying what book, I'll look it up. I'm not sure what the book is called. I got that from reading The Divine Intimacy, um, which is a mm. great spiritual for every day of the liturgical calendar, according to the old, the old rite with the Latin mass. Um, mm. So I read it every day for the year last year. And then I got to Advent this, this past, you know, like this past Advent. And I was like, you know, I need to do that again. That was really good. So I'm just reading it through every day. Um, and that verse just really stuck out to me in the midst of um, yeah. some trials I was going through in my life. And I was like, you know, what does everything, everything mean? You know, like that we yeah. kind of take it like, oh yeah, everything. Sure. Okay. But okay. Everything means not only the joys, the triumphs, like the great moments where I'm like, yeah, thank you God for that. That was really great. But mm -hmm. also those biggest moments of suffering, uh, the mm -hmm. dark points, those two, and especially those moments are messages of God's love because he's calling us to greater sanctification, um, and greater closeness to his most sacred heart. So like, that's just mm -hmm. been really great for me in the last yeah. couple of months. And it honestly changed. I read it. Mm -hmm. That's really, uh, that's so good. Cause it's, um, that's a way the best, my mom says that, you know, gratefulness is a way to scare away the devil. So it's like, you know, the devil wants to use our trials to, you know, um, yeah, against our our good, but if we, you know, use our trials for, you know, offer them up and whatnot, so. Yeah, well, that's kind of cool because it was uh, St. Pope John Paul II's feast day yesterday. He wrote an entire letter about redemptive suffering, so that's pretty relevant. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to my students about that yesterday, um, talking about how he had yeah. Parkinson's, and they were like, whoa, what? You know, they, they don't they don't hear about this stuff just breaking everything down and be like, wow, okay. And some of them kind of joke about it, like, man, does every saint have to have like a super tragic life? Like all these horrible things happen to them? And I was like, well, listen, 
nobody really goes through life without something bad happening happening to them and the saints they had hor- horrible things happen to them some of them more than more so than others but they always took that as an opportunity to grow in faith instead of throwing a pity party but i feel like uh you got to introduce yourself or i can introduce you and you can go <laughs> uh from there whatever awesome. you want. um well my name is allison stump i am a uh fellow alumnus of walsh university with hannah Cat, the one and only um so that's how we got to know each other. but at this point in my life i am a young catholic woman who's striving toward jesus very imperfectly um but i'm working out in the diocese of toledo um unlike the Northwest Ohio area. And my role in the diocese is um, I I am the students for life coordinator. So my job, my ministry, more than just a job is to reach students and to help just um, build relationships with them. And through that, uh, just provide them the resources and tools and mentorship and, you know, basically just loving encouragement so that they can feel just very equipped, empowered, um, confident to be pro-life leaders in their community. So what that looks like is I, I go into schools very often or uh, youth groups and I meet with campus ministers and teachers who are willing to talk with me and I start building relationships with them so that they will invite me to come meet with students that they know personally who present themselves either as people who are already um, you know great leaders and they're trying to get involved but they just need a little bit of help to get moving or people who present a potential who um, have really great hearts they're striving for goodness and truth and beauty but um, they need formation on varying levels. So yeah, I just, I'm here for my students. I see them very much as my spiritual children. Um, every time that they have a victory, I'm like in tears, I'm like, you know, that's my that students for life presentation was just <laughs> the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And you guys are just amazing. And, uh, you know, like <laughs> the moments that they struggle, I'm also, I'm hurting with them, you know, um, because, I don't know, just the Lord has been so gracious in just forming a maternal heart in me over the last several years. Um, Hannah journeyed with me in that for a, for a long time as well, just um, as I went from growing up in middle school and high school, having a very um, broken image of like my femininity, sexuality, things like that, um, and re- really not wanting to have kids. And I, at that point, praise God, I still wasn't into the whole contraception thing. So I was like, well, if I don't want kids and I'm not going to have contraception, I just, I'm just not going to get married then. So like, I just didn't understand the beauty of this vocation that we as women are called to. Um, but like I hit 18 and just like that, um, a light switch flipped and I would just had baby fever and I just want to have a giant Catholic family. Um, and I just, I see what a great gift it is, um, to raise souls for Christ. So until I'm able to do that and be like a full-time stay-at-home mom, <laughs> this is what I'm doing. I'm raising souls for Christ in that way. Anyway, that's a long way of introducing myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. Talking about <laughs> spiritual children. I'm, I don't know if you guys have, I was just talking with my mom about this too. Um, um, cause I, I actually, so I also run on top of this podcast, I run a um, high school girls group. Um, and so one of the young ladies recently, we were just like, she was just kind of, I was just asking her questions about some stuff. And, um, we were talking about, um, somehow clicks came up cause she's in the homeschooling community. Um, and she's like, but there's still clicks in the homeschooling community. And then she actually told me some stuff that happened like a year ago, last September. And I was like, Cause I remember my mom used to say whenever kids like gave us a hard time, like it took everything in her not to like want to go hurt that kid. Um, and so when this t- kid told me, I was like, okay, I cannot 
because yeah there was like some drama with like some other girls in there in the homeschooling group and i it took i was like oh my gosh i got so protective over her and mm-hmm. i was just like okay don't be resentful towards those other girls because they're just high school kids <laughs> so i was like oh I, I i have to be careful what questions i ask of these kids if they share their hearts because then i'm just gonna get all mama bear mm-hmm. so <laughs> that's me too yeah that's actually one of the reasons i switched from uh like I, w- I was kind of like neutral anti-death penalty for a while um and then something happened to one of my students and i'm like i actually i am pro-death penalty <laughs> that's that's actually like <laughs> um oh, anyways so, yeah you know what i get this you know you, somebody you, hurts one of these these children mm-mm, mm-mm. nope yeah you're gone sorry <laughs> yeah and i like i know Ugh. one of the girls that was one of the perpetrators i'm like i'm like oh so disappointed in her i was like oh mm. but i'm like mary she's only in high school she has a lot of growing up to do just pray for her yeah so well anyways you do you experience that too allison in your spiritual motherhood already um in different ways um i've found that just i guess in my relationships with i guess peers of mine who have asked me to walk in with them in different ways, either spiritually or emotionally. And when, when I see, um, when I see them suffer, um, they're though imperfectly, because I've, I've always scored pretty low on the mercy meter because I just have always had this very, just do it mentality. So I don't understand when people are like, Oh, like, I'm just really struggling with this because I always just kind of like turn it off. Unfortunately, that's a blessing and a curse in some ways. Um, so compassion has been a growing thing for me, <laughs> um, but that has something that, yes, I have experienced before when, you know, you just have this moment of like, um, kind of an outburst in the midst of feeling helpless, um, when somebody you love is, is really struggling and you, you just want to reach out and just make it better. You want to, you want to help them. Um, so yeah, I've, I have experienced that, but the Lord, yeah. um, has also shown me just the, the beauty of walking alongside people. And, you know, if most of the time we are not able to fix all the problems, but just the fact that we're able to be present Mm -hmm. and to offer those sufferings alongside our friend or our loved one, um, for the, for the glory of the Lord, you know, like whatever we need to do, we can do that. Yeah. That's great. Wow. That was really, that I I feel like, I think I needed to hear that. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, okay. So we're going to, um, just kind of get to know you a little, um, just like the, you know, um, some kind of fun. Uh, so we call it the soul sing part. So it's rapid fire style. So it's basically, I'm going to ask you, what are the types of the following make your soul sing? So it's, um, My soul sing. yeah. What yes. makes your soul sing? So what type of food makes your soul sing, Allison? <laughs> okay. This is really hard because Anna knows that I love to cook and bake and just discover new recipes from different cultures and all kinds of different things. Um, it's just something I'm really passionate about. If you look at my Pinterest board, there are hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of recipes that I have either tried or want to try. Um, what kind of food makes my soul sing? Um, I would say, I guess just, I, I'm really into Cajun food. So like food you would Ooh. find in Louisiana or like deep mm. South, mm-hmm. that just really just like, really gets you right there. You know, it just, it gives you like, mm-hmm. just like this comfort mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. it just, it's such a beautiful mix of a lot of different cultures with like French, um, Spanish, um, even African-American, uh, all like native American, all different mixtures of things. And I, I really kind of relate to that, um, just mm-hmm. as a person, because I am very mixed, uh, heritage wise <laughs> in terms of, um, I, I kind of call myself, um, like a beautiful mutt because I have so many different areas of my ancestry that I'm pulling from in terms of culture. And, um, so yeah, I just, 
Cajun food, all kinds of, all kinds of things. I, I just love, you know, like making food and sharing it with people. So just food in general makes my heart okay. sing. So <laughs> when you're back around in this area, cause actually I also loved, I love to bake more, but when you're in this area, we should definitely, um, baking yeah, party. Yeah. Baking, cooking food party. Actually we have dinners on Sunday. So yeah, if you're around on the weekends, we do Sunday dinners with friends. So, mm -hmm. um, you're welcome to nice. be our guest oh. and cook for us. <laughs> um, and also awesome. isn't Cajun food known as like soul food? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Right on it, Allison. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, that lines up with um, what I remember about, because Allison and I actually lived together for a year. Okay. Um, and for Fat Tuesday, I remember you guys made beignets. And that was, yeah. <laughs> that was like a big thing. Good, a good old French dessert comfort food. Yeah. Yes. They're like these, I don't know if you've ever had a beignet, Mary, mm. but it's a, so it's good. kind of like a donut. Um, but it's very light and airy. It has like all these air pockets in the middle and you just like drench it in powdered sugar. And it's, oh, and it's like delightful. super crispy and nice and like greasy fried on the outside. Mm. Oh, that <laughs> sounds delightful. No, I, I don't think I have. Cause I think I would remember that. Mm. <laughs> I had them I, when I went to new Orleans, I had some, cause mm. I was like, yeah, there's usually milk in these, but you know what? Screw it. I'm in new Orleans. <laughs> I have to have them at least once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. All right. So kind of going along with the rapid fire, that wasn't exactly rapid fire. So, but anyways, what types of hobbies make your soul sing? So obviously baking is and cooking is one of them. Yes. What else? Yes. So in addition to food, making my soul sing, um, singing literally makes my soul sing. I've always been very involved with music in different capacities. I've been in choirs um, either through school or churches or just um, now I'm in a young adult choir. Um, just run by like different young young adults in the north northwest Ohio area. We sing traditional like sacred music and things like that. And we have we mm -hmm. sing for adoration and for high masses and things. Um, but yeah, just in general, I have always just had a heart for music, and it's mm -hmm. something that really is life giving for me. And I guess to juxtapose the way it makes my heart sing versus like when it's when it's not in my life. Um, when I was giving my year of service out in Chicago, um, you know, like because of how liberal the city is, everything was just so shut down, locked up, um, and groups were not able to gather unless you like knew where the underground groups were. And that's where I found my, my life. But nice. unfortunately the choirs for, um, the parish that I was attending at the time, St. John Kansas parish, um, they were not allowed to gather their. Oh, <laughs> here. Um, since we got all, all got kicked off campus because of COVID my, our senior year from Walsh. Um, so that was just like a really hard period for me. And I just had to like really offer that to God because that was just part of my, my heart, my soul that, that was, um, missing. I just had to kind of die to for a while. Um, but now that I'm able to, to kind of reintegrate that into my life, it's been really beautiful and it's, um, a great outlet for me. So yeah, singing makes my heart sing and yeah. like among other hobbies, just yeah. <laughs> I actually did. I did hear this um, from my roommate that she said you recently sung for a wedding that she was at. And she said that she was like, oh, my gosh, I want this girl to sing for my wedding, too. So she couldn't say <laughs> um, enough about your voice. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, she she just reached out to me uh, like just out of the blue a few weeks ago, maybe like a week or two after the wedding um, out in Akron. And I was I was shocked because like uh, Lindsay and I, like we ran into each other at things in school. Um, but we just had different schedules and things. So we never really had a chance to really cultivate a, a good like friendship or anything, but we were always like, you know, like she was always such a great person. And um, oh, yeah. I, I like her a lot. Uh, so when I got a phone call from Lindsay Sheets, I was like, 
wow hi um she's like I just wanted to tell you that you were you were really great at the wedding uh last week and I just wanted to tell you that I was like thank you that's so sweet um so yeah she did reach out so yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um and then what um oh goodness where did Mm -hmm. it go um what type I think I know what it is what types of devotions make your heart sing or what devotions make your heart sing so many (laughs) (laughs) I I tend to go overboard with all these things but can you really ever go overboard I don't know um I have uh, I've have a a really growing love for first Friday devotions um I was able to really get plugged into that while I was at St. John Kansas in Chicago because they they bring back so many traditions of our faith um and just traditions of just Catholic culture in general that have been lost to most of the church these days um so when I mean they have a beautiful um latin mass every every friday night specifically for the sacred heart of jesus um so that was just really beautiful to be able to make that consecration um so that in addition to um, my devotion to saint joseph um since it's the year of saint joseph it's been a really beautiful time just to get to know his heart um just as a father and as just a man of god who's you know so virtuous and so chaste um it's taught me a lot about my faith and my desire for you know like a really virtuous husband god willing someday mm-hmm. um so yeah, St. Joseph, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I also, <laughs> because I am so heckin' prideful, um, I <laughs> have to pray the Lenny like pretty much every day just to keep myself sane. Um, <laughs> and the Lord answers so well um, because yes, every time I pray the Lenny humility, you can but that later that day when I have some important meeting or like a talk I have to give, I just flop all over the place. Um, and then I, I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Why am I so awkward? And then I think, oh wait, Lord, I asked you for this so much, um, but this is also still so embarrassing and I hate this, but thank you anyway. <laughs> so like, fine, yeah, I guess. I yeah. Litany humility yeah. is a tough one. It's like, it starts off. You're like, okay, yep. Good, good. And then, then it's like, deliver me from the desire of being loved. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How did we get here? I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Guess this got intense. <laughs> and I will affirm you, Allison. I do not yeah. see the awkward that you say that you are. So I feel like, you know, I just, I don't know. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't I'm, know if I've, I'm I've... very good at pretending. So. <laughs> well, you're doing a good job. So. <laughs> I think you should, you know. Yeah, give yourself more credit. So, <laughs> okay, <All right>. thank you. <laughs> and I know. Um, so, our next question actually is something that I know a little bit of, but uh, listeners might might not. Um, so, it's kind of like a twofold question. Um, how long have you been Catholic, and then when did you start taking ownership of your faith? Because everybody has that moment where it becomes theirs. So. <laughs> Do you have five hours to listen to this? Story? <laughs> <laughs> I can try to give an abridged version. And uh, if I start talking too long, just like start waving or something. So I know to like cut it off. <laughs> okay. Um, but okay. So how long have I been Catholic? I was born and raised Catholic. So cradle um, as you know, I was baptized um, as a baby in 1998. But um, so yeah, I grew up in what you would call just um, your typical Catholic house. Um, my, my mom was a convert to the Catholic faith when like shortly after I was baptized, um, my dad was born and raised Catholic as well. So like the town that I grew up in, New Washington is a very, um, just, 
I guess culturally, at least Christian community, everybody at least identifies as some sort of Christian, if not Catholic. Um, so, but I would say that it's more of like a nominal thing because we're, you know, just a, a small, simple rural, uh, like country community. So unless you go, go away to college and come back, like you really have no opportunity to encounter different kinds of faiths or really anybody who challenges what you believe. Um, so for most of my family, everybody's just Catholic because that's just the way it is. And that's the way our, our parents were raised. That's where our grandparents were raised and just on back through, you know, like generations basically since we came to America, like as German in- immigrants. Um, so yeah, I w- was raised in a, I would say nominally Catholic family. We did everything correctly air quotes as in like, we were always sitting in the front pew church every Sunday. We prayed before meals and, you know, at bedtime, things like that. Um, but there was really no, I guess, proper catechesis in terms of like what we believe and why it was just the way it was. Um, but when I was around 13 years old, my dad, um, just felt a call all of a sudden, this is like very unlike him at the time, felt a call to go off and do this mission trip, um, to help people who have experienced some sort of a natural disaster. So he went out, uh, went down South to help, I think with the flood, uh, to repair damages there. And it's run by a non-denominational organization, um, but he encountered a very anti-Catholic pastor while he was there who uh, um, basically was trying to speak into his heart and basically make sure that he's saved, um, but told him that you need to basically, you need to get out of the Catholic church right now. She's the horror Babylon. And like, I can't even repeat some of the things he said because it was so awesome, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But because my dad was so reformed, like so many people of his generation in the wake of Vatican II, um, he didn't have anything to back it up with. So when somebody just throws these big arguments at you, like, what are you supposed to do? He just totally, he fell into it. You know, he was afraid he wanted to get out. He wanted to make sure he was doing the right thing, mm-hmm. um, which I give him props for like at the right heart, but it, it was very, um, it was a very traumatic thing for my family because he came home and sat my mom down and said, we have to look for different churches. And they were originally going to wait until, um, my younger sister and I were out of our Catholic school. Um, and into the public high school at the time, but he went like that for a couple of years. And ultimately like, he just couldn't do it anymore. He basically, you know, like sat us all down at the dinner table and said, we're going to find a new church. We can't be Catholic anymore. It's wrong to be Catholic. And I want you to, um, I want you to see that. So we're going to find a different place where we can be real Christians. (laughs) So that like, as a 13 year old girl, that is such a hard thing to encounter because basically my entire world that I had known, everything I believed to be true up until that point was called into question. So my world was flipped upside down, right? Yeah. Um, nobody wants to be in the, in the, um, nobody wants to be out, if that makes sense, um, mm-hmm. especially as a 13 year old. And you never want to act against your dad, especially. I was very close to my dad at that point, um, like kind of a daddy's girl. We had a really great relationship, but that just kind of sent a huge rift between us because mm-hmm. I was, I was forced to question like, okay, what do I believe and why, which that's a good thing. I'm glad that I was given an opportunity to truly take ownership of my faith, but that was a span of several years where I was just in a very, very dark place because I didn't know who to believe. I didn't know who to ask to get good information. I didn't know where to go. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was a point where I was going to, uh, my parish right across the street from my parents' house. I was going to Sunday mass in the morning. And after that, I would go to the Protestant worship service with my, the rest of my family, um, mm-hmm. that afternoon. So, because I was just trying to seek out like, what is the answer? Um, I know now that that was like bad, um, <laughs> that at the time. but praise God, I could never fully 
get myself to stop going to mass. There was just something about it that I felt always pulled to. Um, and I didn't know what that was at the time. I know now that it was the Eucharist yeah. um, for all of the wonderful things that the Protestant church had to offer me. Like they had great sermons. The pastor was so charismatic and um, just really sociable, was like very caring. I, I knew he cared about me. They had, you know, like great music. It was like a concert every weekend. <laughs> they had coffee you could bring in, even though I didn't like coffee, but they had like a whole cafe you could bring in during the worship service. So they had all of these things that they, that they had to offer me, but there was something that was never truly filled when I was going to those services. And I didn't know what that was, but yeah, like I said, I, I now know that for everything that they had to offer, they, they, they could not give me the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Yeah. So praise God, you know, I stayed. Um, and at that point I was, um, I was then preparing for my confirmation and I made the choice to continue my journey as a Catholic. Um, so I was confirmed, praise God, um, in the eighth grade. And then from that point, I just made a commitment. I said, I don't know what I believe. I'm still not sure about the whole true presence thing. I'm not sure about Mary because at that point, I was being told by my family that Mary is bad. We worship her. Like we only mention her at Christmas, you know, like don't pray the rosary. Don't, you know, like the vain repetitions thing, you know, like all the, all the classic arguments against the church, the misunderstandings. Right. So I was like trying to fight all of this. Meanwhile, trying to grow and like learn and get answers. So I went to a Steubenville conference as a junior in high school, kind of fast forwarding a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I had never been to anything like that before. I had like the parish that I grew up in was kind of like a retirement parish. Um, we <laughs> hadn't had any vocations to the priesthood or religious life since like 1980. Um, so just all old people, like young families would always move away to find work um, because this is a, like a small town. So mm -hmm. I never really had any true experience of my peers who are on fire for the faith. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I encountered that for the first time at the Steubenville conference as a high schooler. Um, and I, I now question, obviously, like the methods that I that I experienced at the Steubenville conferences because I think it very much catered to my emotions, which I guess that got me hooked, which was right. good, but it wasn't enough to sustain me. And I found that I found more of like the sustaining food in the traditions of our church, which that's much later. Mm -hmm. But it, it got me thinking and it got me excited about my faith. I will say, um, and I for the first time saw thousands of people just like me, my age, who were seeking after Jesus Christ as much, if not more than I was. And I wanted that. I wanted that community. So I started looking for Catholic schools so that I could have basically just a community that would hold me accountable, not just like as some safe Catholic bubble necessarily, but people who I could really lean on and rely on. Because at that point, I really kind of felt like, I hate to say this, but sort of like a spiritual orphan. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't rely on my family spiritually. I couldn't trust them for like, spiritual advice, which, you know, like that, that's really sad. No, nobody should have to go through that. Um, that, that was my story. So, you know, like I, I ultimately found Walsh and, um, I definitely got what I asked for there because mm -hmm. I had a great, reading all sorts of stuff. Um, so I just really grew in my faith and like just grew in my love for the Eucharist and um, going to adoration and all sorts of things, just also growing in my devotion for the Blessed Mother. Um, I, I love mom now. Like that was such a, that was such a hard journey for me because it was so ingrained in me that she was dangerous. Um, but seeing now just the beauty of my Catholic faith and that I can trust her and she's drawing me toward her son. Um, that was a huge growing point for me in college. Um, 
yeah. So I don't really remember exactly what the rest of your question was, but like, <laughs> how did I, I'm sorry. Like I do this thing where I start talking. No, you're good. Is there something else that you would like to address? Well, can I ask her a question before you go on to the next question? Can I just, sure. Um, so this is so amazing. I mean, obviously it's so cool. I, I think it is interesting growing up, looking back and just being like, wow, you know, cause I, I also was a cradle Catholic too. And I look back and I remember like my um, parents taught me how to, um, I mean, I guess I, I kind of had an upbringing like yours, you know, my, but my parents, like they, they, I was surrounded with a little lot though going to Catholic schooling, you weren't given the context for a lot of stuff. So that's kind of where I, you know, I went to Franciscan and I was a humanities and Catholic culture major. So I was able to fill in a lot of the gaps that I missed out on. Um, right. But growing up, my mom taught us to do like a, um, a morning prayer time. And I think I'm of all of, um, of my siblings, I'm the only one who kept it because I felt it's kind of like with the Eucharist with you, like you're like, I feel like there's something there that I don't want to not ever do. Um, like, I feel like I'm a better person when I'm in my, and I, I think as a kid, you can't articulate that, but you're like, I'm not going anywhere, you know, like I'm sticking with this kind of thing. Right. So, um, and people are like, wow, you yeah. keep your morning prayer. And it's like, it's really all grace. It really is that the fact that I, you know, mm-hmm. kept that. So, and Jesus is so good to us. Um, so, but I also, um, what was that like with your, so you said you had a good relationship with your dad. Um, but mm-hmm. what was that? You must be a very, um confident kid but how did that affect your relationship with your family um kind of like going through that journey um i mean i, I, I don't know if that's a loaded question <laughs> oh no 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 it's fine um and I, yeah that's something that is it's good to to address because that's been a huge area of healing in my life that i've had to go through um yeah i, I had a great relationship with my dad until you know until he left the faith and brought my like my entire immediate family with him. Um, I'm the mm-hmm. only practicing Catholic left in my immediate family, unfortunately. Um, wow. but when everything happened and he left the church, um, that sent a huge divide in my family. Um, I very much like pulled away from, from my dad. I pulled away from, I mean, most people in my life at that point, because I just, I didn't know how to cope with it. Um, and I was trying to seek out the truth. And I just, like my dad would tell me that you know, like he's, he would support me, whatever I did, but I could see, um, I could see the truth of it in his actions. Like he, um, I remember one, one time specifically that, um, I was, I couldn't sleep at night, but, I, but I kind of like woke up and heard my dad pacing in the hallway. Cause my, my bedroom was like right across the street from, from across the room from across the hall from my parents' room. And he was just pacing and he comes in, he's just like standing in my doorway. I'm like, dad, what's wrong? What is it? What's wrong? And he just looks so distraught. Um, and he just basically said, Allison, I'm worried for your soul. Jeez. Wow. Um, it's like, well, okay. thank you. I'm glad you're for my soul. But like, why are you, why are you worried about my soul, dad? And he, he's like, you just, the Catholic church is so unbiblical. Like, I just, I can't, I can't, you know, like support you being, being this way. Like Mary, like he just like kept spouting off all these things. He was tired. It was in the middle of the night. Yeah. I was like, dad, I I'm striving after the Lord. And it's only because of my Catholic faith that I'm still here right now. Like I, and especially when I, um, was able to like learn about the Latin mass as a high schooler, when my parish priest at the time, who was, you know, just, just a new priest, he started celebrating low masses, um, at my parish that really galvanized my resolve. Like there's something beautiful here that connects me to the entire, you know, like history of salvation, my whole family of the community of angels and saints. Like I have people that, that I can rely on and I clung to them when I felt like I couldn't cling, cling to my family. So yeah, like 
after my dad left, it became a very um, challenging relationship. And it has been ever since um, because I was just angry and I was confused, you know, like I felt lost and I felt abandoned. Um, I didn't, I felt like I couldn't trust him or that he didn't really like in some ways didn't love me because um, he left my faith and he didn't support me in mine. And like, you can have superficial conversations, but if you can't talk about those things that matter at the most fundamental level level to you. And for Mm -hmm. me, that was my faith. If I couldn't talk to him about that most important area of my life with my faith, Mm -hmm. what could we truly talk about? You know? Right. Um, And it was just a lot of um, verbal knockdown throwouts. Like he never like put a hand on me by any means, but it was just like, we fought so much um, Mm -hmm. debating. And I just got to the point where I, I spoke my piece. I had presented to him, presented him everything that I, everything that I could, um, I could think of. And I just thought, okay, I think it's time for me to step back and just take it to prayer. Um, of course I had been praying the whole time, but saying like, at this point, it's his choice to be open, to receive what I've given him. And I have Mm -hmm. to just pray for that because the more I talk to him, the more I'm going to push him away. Um, right. So that, at that point I was, I just really started, yeah, I just kind of stepped back and was just really praying about it. And I was starting to discern religious life at this point, um, in college. And I went on a come and see retreat with some Dominicans out in Illinois. And, you know, I thought I was do, like doing like all the things I was like trying to put myself out there and get involved with everything the sisters were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had dinner with the vocations director that, that night, sister Joe Kima. And she said, you know, Allison, I know that you say that you're open to God's will and you're at a point where most people never get, and it's a beautiful thing. You want to do the will of God. I see that but you say that you're open, but you're not truly open. There's something, I, I don't know what it is, but that I can tell that there's something in your life that is keeping you from being open to anything that the Lord asks of you right now. There's something that you need to heal from. Um, she's like, I encourage you to really pray about that. Wow. So I did. And I kind of like took the rest of that retreat to just ask the Lord, like, what is this wound that, that is still weighing me down from, you know, saying yes to my vocation, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized in prayer that like, I have a father wound. I have a wound of, you know, like not being able to trust the will of God because I didn't trust my dad because I was hurt. Um, mm-hmm. so I just asked the Lord, like in the, the, this has been a healing process for the last several years since, since I had that retreat, but just really trying to look at my dad's life and seeing that he is the way he is. Um, and I'm very much like him. We share so many qualities and I recognize that. So seeing like, where, where is his wound? that's causing this, Mm. this life that he's lived to continue, that he can't commit the truth of the Catholic faith because he's been hurt too. Um, realizing like back. Like he's a very faithful Protestant. Like I can see he's searching for truth. He's doing the right thing. He's doing mission work. Like he, he loves us. I know that now. Um, but it took me, it took me understanding that, we share, we share the same story. We, we both have wounds that need to be healed and that we've just been hurting each other more by like lashing out because of that. It took me seeing that side of my dad and seeing the part where, you know, he's hurting too, that gave me a lot more healing and compassion for him and understanding. Um, and that, that has really changed the way that I've gone about my relationship with him because there was a point where I I really honestly was days, um, days from just basically cutting him out of my life because I was just so angry and hurt. Um, but there was, again, there was something keeping me from doing that. And I really think that was the Holy spirit, you know, like just trying to keep me in, in right order because we need to be present to our family members, um, whether they are faithful or, or not, you know, 
So yeah, I like, I would say that like in the past few years, I have, we have grown a lot in our relationship, like my dad and I, um, it's definitely not perfect. Nobody has a perfect relationship with their parents, of course. Yeah. Um, but it's getting to a point where I see like little glimmers of hope here and there, like a few weeks ago, um, we sat down to dinner with my, like my sister and I were both home in town and, uh, and we sat down and it's like, dad, could you lead us in prayer before the meal? And he said, okay. So he was, he started to pray, but he started making the sign of the cross as he, as he was beginning the prayer, but he caught himself halfway through and he like immediately looked at me like, <laughs> like he caught himself. And I, I was just trying to stifle my, like the shock and joy in my face. Cause I was like, oh, it's still there. He's still like, there's still like those little seeds of truth there. There's the seed uh, mm-hmm. of the Catholic faith. I know he still has it. Yeah. Um, so like just little things like that, where like he didn't intentionally do it, but he knew what he was, he knew what he was doing when he caught himself. Um, so like, yeah. obviously those are just tiny things, but I've been praying for 13 years now, since my family left, I've been praying for that, for that glorious day when my family is finally convicted of the truth to, you know, come back to their Catholic faith and stronger than ever, because I, from personal experience, just people that I've known, um, the mentors in my life who are converts that, um, it's usually people who have either, um, basically people who are converts to the Catholic faith are sometimes the strongest Catholics because they know what it's like being on the outside. They know what it's like not to have that communion with the Lord in such a tangible way. Um, so I just know that God willing, when, when my family comes back to the church, they're going to be powerhouses because Mm -hmm. my dad is such a strong man. He's convicted. He has very strong opinions about things, but that, that can be such a a force for good, you know, when, um, when he uses it for the Lord's purposes. Um, so I have hope I have, you know, I pray for this every day. And I know that when we ask of the Lord, things that he wills as well, uh, because he wills all of all of us to be saved and to go to heaven. I know that he hears those prayers and he's working toward that. Um, as long as we are faithful and open to what he wants. So mm-hmm. yeah, long story, but so <laughs> wounded, wounded, uh, relationship, but there's been healing and I'm grateful for that. And we still have a long way to go, but yeah. I'm, I'm willing to make those sacrifices. So. Mm-hmm. And thanks for sharing. That's definitely a very vulnerable sp- spot. So definitely want to honor that too. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing. That takes a lot of courage. So yes. Um, oh, no, I, I love sharing that story because if it weren't for all of this, I wouldn't be who I am today in terms of like as a Catholic, as a person in general, as a woman, you know, like all of this has been preparing me exactly like the, the quote from St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Everything yes. that happens is the message to me of God's great love for my soul. So I know that mm-hmm. all these things that the Lord has in my life are trying to form me as a saint, you know, so I just want to be faithful to that. Yeah. Wow. That's really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, Hannah. You're like, sometimes I have that attitude and sometimes I'm like, (laughs) I've been trying to have that all this past week. I was really trying to have that attitude, but Mm. oh, the devil is pretty vicious this past week, but I think I survived. Oh, you too. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's annoying. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not without. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, do you want to ask the next question then? It kind of tan, it's a kind of goes off of. Yeah, sure. Um, So obviously, from be- being with you at Walsh, I know that we were both like really committed to the pro-life movement and, you know, stood outside Planned Parenthood together, did a bunch of things, uh, March for Life. Um, hopefully we get to do that again this year. Like, I'm already planning on going, like maybe taking students with me, who knows. Um, <laughs> but anyways, how did God call you to where you are today in the pro-life movement, your ministry? 
<laughs> um, I would say divine providence called me there. Um, I, at the time when I was offered this position for the diocese, I was in, I was coming toward the end of my year of service out in Chicago. Um, I mentioned this a couple of times in the course of our conversation, but, um, I was giving a year of service with a pro-life organization called aid for women, which is the Chicago land areas, um, biggest network of pregnancy care centers and, um, also a couple of residential programs. So I was a live-in volunteer called a VTA Corps member. Mm-hmm. Um, so like life basically. So I was a live-in volunteer in their uh, maternity home called Heather's mm-hmm. house. So when mom mm-hmm. would come to us, knowing or suspecting that they were pregnant, they would um, have varying levels of need from, I just need to come in every couple of weeks to get diapers and formula all the way to, if I'm going to say yes to this baby and to parent or place in a loving adoptive home, I need mm-hmm. a lot of help. I don't have a car. I have, I'm going from couch to couch. Um, and like, I I need help. So they would come live with me until they had their babies and met whatever goals they had set for themselves to become self-sufficient, live back out in the world again. Mm -hmm. So I was finishing that year of service. Um, when I get a call from, uh, an old boss from an internship I had, um, as a college student, his name's Peter range. He's the director of the office for life and justice, um, for Catholic charities in the diocese. Um, so he called me and been a while since we'd spoken and he said, Allison, I've done it. And when Peter says something like that, you either get really excited or kind of scared because he's always at like, he's always been kind of the visionary. Um, so he, he always has these crazy ideas. Like, what'd you do, Pete? Um, and he said, I have been, I've been trying to, um, start, get started a new position in the office for life and justice for years now. And I finally have the funding. I have the Bishop's approval and I want you to fill the position. Whoa. Nice. And at this point I was stirring some vegetable stock that I was making from some old like food scraps. And I was like, just holding the phone in one hand and stirring with the other in this pot. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, what's the job you want to tell me? Um, um, so we like went into this, um, this period of discernment, obviously. And he like presented to me the students for life initiative that he wanted to get started to like specifically reach out to students. Um, Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I was praying about it. I wasn't really sure if I was truly called to, to take the position and move back to Ohio because I had a really great life in Chicago. It was just, I had such, such great spiritual resources. I had a great community at St. John Kansas. I loved um, my boss at my current year of service. Um, mm-hmm. She wanted me to stay for another year. Just like, Aww. Lord, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do, but I have this, I have this growing sense of completion. Um, where I think maybe I'm not supposed to, re- to renew my new, my year. And I also feel drawn to go home. I'm not sure yeah. exactly why I had just started a relationship with a guy who I met at the parish. So I was just like, um, I don't really want to do the whole, whole long, uh, long distance thing. So that's yeah. weird, but I was just trying to be faithful. Um, so I, you know, I went home and the first couple of weeks, it was really tough because this, it was a brand new position in the diocese. We'd never had a students for life coordinator before. So just trying to learn by doing and build basically an entire infrastructure and a framework for what my job, what my role is um, Mm -hmm. here. That was really tough. And I was facing a lot of spiritual attacks and spiritual warfare, just because when you're doing the will of the Lord, enemy does not like that very much. So I was just fighting off temptations, (laughs) fighting off a lot of temptations to despair and like not trust the Lord. And like, did I make a mistake by moving back to Ohio? It's great to live near my family, but like, am I really supposed to be doing this? Why did I leave? Um, my spiritual community, I had access to the Latin mass as much as I wanted in Chicago. And now like, I'm barely able to get to the one that I find on Sundays, um, Mm. downtown Toledo, because I'm traveling so much for work. So I was just like, Lord, what the heck? Um, 
but it started to get better better as the school year started where I was finally able to meet the students and to to really do what my ministry was set to do instead of just sitting in an office and writing emails all day trying to make connections I was actually <laughs> doing it yeah so that that just really turned the corner for me and I lit a fire in my soul um but also I had real confirmation that I was supposed to be home um about a month ago when I think it was over Labor Day weekend and just a lot of stuff was happening um spiritually for me I had a meeting with my spiritual director that pretty much advised me that I was not in a place emotionally or spiritually that I needed to be in a relationship right now. So I had to end a friendship with one person in my life and I had to end my relationship with my boyfriend at the time, which was really tough mm. um, because he's such a wonderful man, um, but I just wanted to be faithful to my spiritual director. So I did all of that. So then I go home to visit my family and my mom sits us all down to dinner and, and lets us know that after 13 years of being in remission from her breast cancer that she had oh. when I was actually, you know, like dealing with when my family left the church, that was one thing that we were also struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um, but after all this time, the breast cancer is now back. Um, and oh. she has also spread metastasis wow. to most of her bones. Um, oh, wow. so I realized just in such a oh. tangible way, you guys, oh, everything in my life has been orchestrated by divine providence to bring me to this point in my life to live near my family. Um, cause there's no reason I shouldn't be in Chicago right now. And if I was in Chicago, I'd be freaking out because I wouldn't be able to really yeah. be present to my family in the way that I want and to help my mom as she's dealing with this illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was frustrated for me. And it, like, how often do you, do you work in a position where you, you're like you, your superior is my boss, um, my boss's boss, even the Bishop, because we yeah. live in a Catholic setting they understand the dignity and value of human life and the, the importance of being present to family during yes. trials like this. So they've just been rock stars and making sure that, you know, like all the time that I need to take to help my mom in terms of like just being present to her and helping around the house so she isn't straining herself. Um, they give me the time and they said, you know, if, if there comes a point where you need to take two or three months completely off of work to, to be with your mom, mm-hmm. um, if things get really bad, like mm-hmm. we'll make that happen. Don't about it else and we just want you to be present to your family right now that's the most important thing wow how often do you get that in a work setting like it's never um so like the boss that he gave me the job that i gave me that i have such flexible work hours because i travel so much i can just stop uh stop at home and do things like on my way to different schools and i'm visiting Mm -hmm. um so like all these things like everything that happens as a message to me of God's great love for my soul. Like that just rings out so true in these moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, that's how I knew, like, it was just my confirmation that this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, mm-hmm. obviously yeah. my, I don't have this job specifically so that I could be present to my mom who has cancer. Right. Um, but I see that you know, the Lord is blessing my time here and he's provided me a ministry that is fulfilling and uh, where I can really reach people and do his work, but in a way that I'm still able to be present to another part of my state in life, which is as a daughter mm-hmm. and as a sister. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, God is so good. And yeah, yeah if, and I, I've never before in my life seen God act so tangibly in my life. Like mm-hmm. even through all everything that I was struggling with in terms of my faith as a kid, um, like I, not even then did I see so clearly like in the middle of the storm that the Lord's hand is completely in my life and he's directing everything as long as I'm, you know, trying to be faithful and surrender to him. So yeah. Wow. Circumstances are not fun. Those suck. Like it's, it sucks to have, um, your mom start struggling with metastatic breast cancer. Like that is not a fun Mm -hmm. thing, but honestly, 
I think because there are hundreds of people praying for her, people are offering masses for her. Like, I think that this could be cause for their reversion back to the Catholic faith. And that's what I've been praying for. It takes a a trial as big as this, where there, there's a life that is threatened, or unfortunately, if she's, if she's called, if this is her time to go, um, I just ask that, you know, her soul is ready, but like, yeah, this is an opportunity and I want to see it that way. You know, I don't want to be like fall into despair or fear, things like that. Um, in spite of the fact that it is scary and it is, um, you know, every reason to despair in terms of the worldly sense, but we have a Lord who, um, who's just really, he's, he's there for us and he cares for every one of our needs. And I've seen that so clearly. Yeah. Wow. That is gorgeous. Yeah. Well, now you have, now you have more people praying for you. Yeah. What is your mom's name? Her first name? What's her first name? So we can Mm -hmm. put it out so people can pray for her. Yes. My mom's name is Vicki. So yeah, I appreciate all the prayers. They've yes. already been so efficacious and the Lord knew that you know, like we'd have this, this podcast together so we can have even more pray- people praying and yeah, oh, so yeah. I'm grateful for all of you so much. Do you yes. also, do you guys have like a, um, like a, do you guys need any like financial support? Like if there's like a, do you guys have like a GoFundMe or something up so that we could share for you guys or um, are you guys good? We do not. We don't, we do not have a GoFundMe right now. I think that my parents, they've always been kind of like financially savvy. So they've put away a lot of money and, and have investments and things like that, where mm-hmm. I think, um, well, also I think from the first time that my mom was sick, she had cancer insurance, mm-hmm. um, which we didn't think we'd ever need again. But, you know, I think that that's covering most of the expenses at this point, but okay. um, yeah, if that ever be thing, I'll be sure to, you know, like spread the word, but I think oh, we're yes. okay right now. I think the biggest, the biggest need is definitely prayers. Yeah. So. Oh, for yeah. sure. Well, now you have the prayers of all my students because <laughs> I take pretty much everything <laughs> back to them. And um, they should write. They should write her mom notes. Oh, they love to write letters too. <laughs> they love to write to people. Like that's so sweet. I'm like, can we have pen pals this year? We really want pen pals. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like I don't know where I could find you pen pals, but <laughs> we want to write to people. I've written to so many people. They actually um our you remember uh matt our our friend who he went to the seminary and so our my kids actually wrote him letters and he came to visit them last year during christmas break um like surprised them spent the day with them and it was just the cutest thing ever and they still they're still like when's he coming back and i'm like i don't know kids they're like are you sure so last sweet. time i surprised them and i was like none of them expected it it was one of the greatest surprises i've pulled off and you know that i've pulled off like a lot <laughs> including your own birthday party so <laughs> that was terrifying <laughs> that's a story in itself <laughs> oh yes so um allison i have like two questions in my mind so um one is w- would you say you've always been pro-life um and then also just tell us a little bit more about what your ministry looks like because i think that's actually unique i don't even know if we even have that in our diocese probably not yeah probably not so yeah i don't know of any other diocese that has a a position specifically dedicated to meeting students in the pro-life movement so Mm -hmm. i'm kind of the first of my kind which is cool because there's an opportunity to spread that all different areas of the church which is good um would i say that i've always been pro-life um I guess this kind of go, goes back to the cultural Christian sort of thing um, where everybody, yeah, like there was just an assumption that everybody is pro-life. So like I would have said throughout my middle school, like like at the point where I became more aware of myself, I would have always said, yeah, I'm pro-life, but I didn't really know what that meant necessarily, except that like, 
yeah, we respect people from conception until natural death, but I didn't know what abortion truly was. I didn't know like how it worked or point I I remember specifically agreeing with my friends who were saying like yeah like I'm pro-life but in the cases of rape or incest or if the mom's life is threatened yeah like it makes mm. sense an abortion and I agreed with that because I didn't know what that meant I didn't know right. the ramifications of that statement mm-hmm. um but at that point I also was asked to um along with my classmates write an essay about why we are pro-life so I wrote that essay, and then as most middle schoolers do, I completely forgot about the essay and like moved on with my life. Um, yep. But <laughs> I was told that I had won the essay contest and I was going to be sent to the March for Life in DC Whoa. as a sixth grader. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was I was like, cool, a trip to DC. But that was also the extent of like the the point. Like I, it was just a cool trip for me. I didn't I didn't really understand the gravity of what I was going to encounter there um, oh. until I got there, and I would. I remember there's that point where you're walking up to Capitol Hill and you're going up the hill mm-hmm. and then you, you, everybody just does this. You just turn around and you see the giant, it just enormous crowd of people behind you. Oh my gosh, All yeah. the people that are walking. Yeah, I'm walking getting goosebumps thinking about it again. <laughs> just Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I did that. I got to that point and I turn around and I look behind me and I just see thousands upon thousands of people. And most of them are families, young families, yes. young people religious. I had never seen so many cassocks and habits before yes. in my life. And that was just so cool to me. Like mm-hmm. that was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, that was, I never encountered that before. Um, and that just really like woke me up, I guess. I was just like, wow, we're all gathering for a purpose. I'm not really sure what that purpose is <laughs> at this point. Um, but like, we're all doing this. And like, I was just really shocked. I'm like, this is whatever this is, this is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, like, it was, I didn't really come home, um, with all the answers. I, like, I was excited, but I didn't really have the resources to be able to get involved. Like they, we had like my county's right to life group, but it was all old people. So they didn't really have anything for me there. <laughs> right. Um, and there, like, I wasn't a students for life coordinator at the time. So like they were doing their best as, you know, as my church and everything like that, but I really was just kind of like left my own devices. So I didn't really do a whole lot with it until I got, um, to the Steubenville conference actually, where then I saw my friends were going to um, the March for Life who had who mm-hmm. I met at the conference. And I was like, I really wish I was there. I remember how great that was. And that was the year that they had the big um, snowstorm where everybody oh, stranded gosh, on yeah. the highway for like three days. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be trapped in the snow too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but like, it was basically just a slow growth in my life in terms of, um, coming to better understand what it means to be pro-life because at the same time I was growing in my Catholic faith, I was also growing in my pro-life stance because those things go together, right? With, when we have a true faith in our Lord and we understand that we're created in his image and likeness, it makes sense that we're, we're then going to grow in our respect for other souls, right? Um, and their, yeah. and their inherent dignity. So really college was the first time I got super involved in the pro-life movement because I had my friends who were going and praying on Friday nights at this abortion facility that I had never done that before, yeah. but I was just like, my friends are going, I should go too. <laughs> yeah. Um, next thing you know, time. I'm leading help. I'm helping lead those vigils. Um, by the time I was like a sophomore or junior in, in college. And I was just like, my friends were really the big formers of me. Like, it's so true that you become the people that you spend the most time with. And, yeah. um, like Hannah knows this big big group of Italians that we were all best friends with. Um, they, <laughs> They're best they were, friends with everybody. Yeah. 
yeah, they're best friends with everybody, but it was really <laughs> them and people like and um, so many others at Walsh who really got me to really understand what it was that I meant when I said as a sixth grader that I was pro-life. Um, yeah. So yeah, at that point, like it was just a slow growth um, that really quickened at the end of my college years. And then when I was looking for a, a position, um, just as I graduated, I was like, you know, I really, I'm really do think that I, I want to continue in the pro-life movement. So by God's grace, I was able to. Oh, oh, you put yourself on mute. That allowed me to give a tangible presence to all the things I talked about for years. You know, I was actually encountering the women who were very abortion vulnerable, all sorts of things. So yeah, that's how I guess my pro-life stance kind of formed. Um, so what, what does my ministry look like day to day? Um, yeah, I kind of described this before, but I guess, um, I am just really trying to meet students and develop relationships with them. And ultimately to, to make saints, because I can go into a school and say, okay, guys, we're going to start a pro-life club and that's great. But then I would just be doing what I did as like a sixth grader where like, I say that I'm involved, but I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Um, we have to be formed in the entire person, you know, so I'm, I'm really trying to, um, have a well-rounded perspective when I'm meeting with students and just trying to really support them as people, um, so that they feel encouraged to, um, I guess, take a personal investment in the things that I'm presenting to them, because it's a big jump. We live in a culture where it is not popular to be a young person or just a person in general who is pro-life. Yeah. Um, so you have to really fight against the, against the current, if you're going to make this choice. Um, but I've just been so, so su surprised and just proud of the young people of, of my diocese, because I can see that they're all open. They, they want to know the truth because we're, I think we tend to treat students as children sometimes like, oh, we have to wait yeah. to have this conversation until they're mature enough. We have to wait until they, you know, X, Y, Z fill in the blank. But they're immersed they in the other side them. right now, you know, and that's exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, but I see it as, um, you know, a campus minister just recently told me like, whenever someone tells me like, we're, we're feeding into the next generation, we're like providing for our future. They're like, no, I, I disagree with that because like, yes, they're in the true, now. but yeah, they're in the now. Exactly. Um, and students, young people all already have such an impact among their peers and their circles mm -hmm. on social media in the world. Yes, they are the future, but they already have a voice and they're powerful. So I just really want to capitalize that on show them and show them the mm -hmm. beauty of the way that they can make an impact for good if they choose to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's, that's kind of the majority of my ministry is just trying to make great people yes. <laughs> and also try to become a person myself. And they, they, they really do make me that. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I feel like I, I am held more accountable um, in my life because I know that I have young people who are, you know, depending on me. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you work with, what's the primary, is it all, all grade, like all grades or what's the primary age that you're working with, with kids? Cause I, when I think of students for life, I think of the college program, but it sounds like it's not just college, right? No, not just college. At this point, I'm really just meeting with people, anybody who's willing to talk with me. And I just <laughs> try to um, make it age appropriate for them at their, at their level, because we know that a, a conversation about abortion will look very different with a third grader versus yes. an eighth grader versus a high schooler versus a college student. 
Mm -hmm. um, but everybody needs to hear the pro-life message. And the earlier that we can get, get that into the hearts of our students, the better and the easy, easier it will be for them when they ultimately encounter the world that will present them with another narrative, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but my primary audience is, I would say junior high through high school. Um, and I, there are a number of college students that I also work with um, because yeah, the, the Students for Life of America really, um, really tries to work with college students, especially. Um, yeah. So what I do is I funnel those students over to um, our Ohio Regional Coordinator for Students for Life of America. His name is Jordan Mormon. He's a rock star. Also into the Latin mass, <laughs> like hey. we have a camaraderie there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jordan, like he just always hops in and like, we'll take, uh, we'll just take the reins with students. Like I, I till the ground and he just like helps them. Um, and he trains them and like does all sorts of different, like great presentations on tons of topics. So we, we work together yes. really closely with all that, but yeah, mostly junior high and high school. Mm. So how do you, so it's basically you present these materials by just like building a relationship and then they're open to those kind of conversations, kind of how you did it, Hannah how you know you let your kids actually have you know like you've built a, a, a relationship so you can actually have those hard conversations yes like you don't just start being like hey <laughs> the church says this or the church says that yeah or, today we're gonna talk about what the church says about this and it's and then they're like i don't even know you <laughs> but yeah yeah it's been a long process that, that is a way that i i want to strive um to i guess present the message although it has to kind of be a both and because mm -hmm. a lot of times because I have so many schools that I minister to like right. my diocese is enormous because it's primarily yes. farm country so we have 19 <laughs> counties responsible for and there are Ooh. like so many schools and so many students and I'm trying to reach. so I'm trying to develop relationships with them but yeah. at the same time I am wetting their feet with bits of the truth um mm -hmm. because if I don't it might be another few months before I'm able to, to see them again so yeah. you have to like uh, mm -hmm. try to balance it because um it's hard to to juggle so many people um yes but yeah my my biggest goal is to develop relationships with them so that they trust me and that they they mm -hmm. they are open to asking me questions or if they have issues mm -hmm. in oh yeah but a lot of it looks like presentations um where i show them things like the baby olivia video from live action if you guys mm -hmm. have seen that um there's yeah. like fetal development um, short YouTube video, which is so well made. Um, and just, I especially show that to the younger students, like, um, elementary age, because they, they're just in awe. They see a baby developing in the womb like that. And they're like, yeah. I looked like that. That mm -hmm. is so cool. And you see their jaws. <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, it is amazing. And like, and you start to get to the point where you're saying, yeah. And unfortunately there are people who don't understand that this is amazing. You know, like yeah. so we, we have to, we have to give voice to these little babies who don't have a voice. Um, so you, the way you have that conversation is obviously different for different ages, right. but yeah, that's kind of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Is it, sorry, Hannah, did you have a, I have, a, I have another question okay, before I have our, like our last question. <laughs> yes, um, so what is it like being, you know, cause I, I was involved in pro-life work when I was in high school, but then I kind of realized like I felt called to I realize I'm like, you don't have to be in a pro-life youth group to be pro-life. It's just a way you live your life. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think I carry it into the podcast and building up the young girls because that's a big, that's the proactive side is building up, you know, young women um, so they, you know, don't find themselves in those situations. But um, what is it like being in the pro-life movement? Because I feel like right now there's just a lot of grounds that the pro-life movement is making. 
so I don't know if that's like if you're paying attention, like there's the we will probably talk about it next week, the Mississippi um, case that's coming oh, up. Yes. And like there's like a lot mm-hmm. of big stuff that's happening. So and obviously there's a lot of spiritual warfare. So we must, you know, there's a lot of strides that I'll be making. So what there's is a, it like? It's a counterattack as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So what is it like? You know, like you're in you're on the front. What is it? Front, front lines. Front lines. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely on the front lines. I have been blessed um, because since I'm new, a lot of people don't know me. So when they have a problem, they usually go to Peter, my boss, and he gets <laughs> to eat. But um, <laughs> no, I have had some opposition in terms of, especially in the Catholic schools, unfortunately, um, yeah. where I'll have a, even th- the theology teachers or campus ministers, this is a very small group of people, but they do exist mm. where they, just because yeah. they're not, they're not formal in, in the yep. truth either but they'll say like, you know, my pet peeve about the pro-life movement is that we focus so much on abortion and what we should be focusing more on is like after birth, you know, like defending the the homeless and like the poor, which like all of these things are connected and any truly pro-life person would never argue otherwise. Right. Um, but just that, that usual seamless garment argument, like you can't be truly pro-life unless you are, um, yes you know, a whole range of things. Um, so I guess that's kind of been my biggest obstacles where people are kind of hesitant to speak with me because they have this misconception of what pro-lifers are like and that yes. we're just pro-birth instead of being truly pro-life. Um, mm-hmm. But that's definitely not true. Um, but in terms of being pro-life in this culture, it's, I mean, it's just amazing because we're seeing just so much legislation coming out in terms of like the Harpy Bill down in Texas and the Mississippi case that's coming up where that's the first direct challenge to Roe v. Wade that we've seen since it was you know brought out in 1973 um mm-hmm. so that like that's very exciting to see um so more than ever I've just been encouraging students to see like this is this is the first time that we there's a real possibility that we could see an end to abortion in our lifetime like do you want to be part of that journey with me mm-hmm. um so of course we realize that even even when I'll say when not if because it will be when because the Lord is willing that um, when Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion will still exist in our country wow. and in our world because there's a lot of work that still needs to be done because it just goes back to the states to make that decision whether each individual um, yes. state will allow abortion to continue in their in their area. Mm-hmm. So I know that there will be a lot of states that will ban abortion, but there will be the ones that let it continue. So if a woman is seeking abortion in Indiana and maybe Indiana bans abortion in their state all she has to do is go to illinois which will certainly have abortion because yes illinois and new york are the most pro-abortion states along with california in the entire country so mm-hmm. all she has to do is cross the border and seek it out yeah mm-hmm. also in light of covid um we have seen a huge spike in um the number of mail order um, abortion pills basically like telehealth mm-hmm. abortion mm-hmm. So oh, women order. don't even have to meet a doctor air quotes they don't have to meet with an abortionist they don't have to meet with a nurse to find out whether they have an ectopic pregnancy that could be life-threatening to her they don't know if the if if she's truly pregnant they don't know if there are any like health risks that she's facing that taking an abortion pill outside of the care of the doctor um would like be truly life-threatening to her because we know that um, most cases when a woman takes an abortion pill because she's in a very isolated state they call it toilet bowl abortions where often um, women will be told to just sit on the toilet until they pass the baby and just don't look and just keep flushing. And a lot of times there's really bad hemorrhaging. And they say, if you have, if you have really, really bad bleeding or really, really bad cramps, call us, don't call the hospital, don't go to hospital, call us. And one of our nurses will be there to take care of you. 
Mm-mm. So that was that was when you had to go into the office um, to get the abortion pills. In Toledo, that's still in the, still the case. I think you're not allowed to have telehealth health telehealth visits there. You still have to go in for at least two appointments because that's required by Ohio state law. Um, but in more than a couple of states, it's becoming a thing where you just have like a Zoom meeting or you can just order like online um, and they will ship you your abortion pill regiments, um, the RU40, RU46 pills, and you just take them from home. You never have to have a follow-up if you don't want to, because a lot of women would not want to go to a follow-up appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to have any sort of medical attention. You just do it all there from the comfort of your home with no medical assistance, which is oh so, gosh. so very dangerous. Um, so this is where the pro-life or where the, the, the abortion industry is moving because when the states ban abortion, um, especially like surgical abortions, mm-hmm. the, the facilities will close down, but there will still be the big Planned Parenthoods in different states where they can just mail um, abortion pills to you. Right. So and then it comes, even yeah. if they're like banned in certain states, then there'll be black markets popping up and all kinds of fun things. So, mm. right. So abortion will still be available, unfortunately. Um, and of course, people make the arguments that like that just means that there will be more illegal abortions, which that doesn't really fit statistically um, no. because in states where abortion is legal, it's much higher than in states um, where it's right. not legal. But um, I, losing my train of thought um but basically what that means is because the face of what abortion looks like in our country is going to be changing with the overturning of roe v wade that means that we have to change the way that we act as pro-lifers we have to change the way that we try to reach women because we can't we wouldn't it'll be less likely that we'll be able to make those saves when women normally would be going in and out of the abortion facility when we have sidewalk counseling Mm -hmm. that may go a lot of places because they won't have to go out in public to seek out their abortions. Mm-hmm. So we have to focus on people from a young age that when they get to a point, if they're in a, like a crisis in terms of like being afraid, coerced, or like mm-hmm. seeking abortion because of any number of things, that they would understand um, what it is they're choosing and that they have other life affirming choices. So it's mm-hmm. my job is going to become so much more important not that it isn't now but to be more preemptive because it's going to be a lot harder to reach women in the future um but that that's just a huge call for us to continue the fight right yeah to make abortion unthinkable illegal so yeah Mm -hmm. that i mean that was the quote that was in the back of my head is is and have you actually had your kids um uh, do you guys use um, um, unplanned at all? Because I was actually thinking of the whole mail order and whatnot. I mean, I probably that's more like high school age, if anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but not middle school. Because I actually I have that scene when she actually does the like the yes. pill at home, and she oh, that that gosh. scene. Do you remember? Did you see unplanned? We watched it on the March for Life, like, yes. like on the way to the March for Life. Yeah, and I remember that scene, and it's like just running in the back of my mind. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so awful. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so yes, I have seen Unplanned. It's a great movie. Um, I do have, um, I guess I haven't seen any students have like a public viewing since I've started the position, but I do know that that's something that a lot of pro-life groups, at least for the adults use, or like they'll have like a movie night or something, um, that is available to the students through the Students for Life of America website. Um, if you are an affiliated group with Students for Life, you automatically get all, all sorts of free resources. So you get free view and license, viewing license for Unplanned. 
which normally if you were to do it like if you were to do it legal instead of just like buying the video and just like playing it like most of us do mm-hmm. if you were to like have a public viewing license that would normally cost you four hundred dollars but through oh, students wow. for life it's completely oh that's um, so that's an awesome resource for students and they have tons of um like flyers and brochures and um just basically educational videos and resources and training opportunities so students know how to run a club and what it means to like um like how do you form your officers and like make your constitution or all sorts of things. Um, so that website is just, it's so helpful. And I wish I would have known about it um, when I was a student, because I know Hannah, you know, like we were really just trying to figure it out as we went and we kind of yeah. felt like we had to reinvent the wheel, and do what we felt worked, but they already have an infrastructure totally made for us. And they just, they just have to make it their own now, which is really cool. It's amazing how things have developed in the last few years. Yeah, that's cool. And what was that website again? We'll put that in the show notes for sure. So people it's can called students for life hq.com and you right. can shorten that to S F L A H Q.com, I think. So okay, perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, yours. This is so I, I mean, I feel like we could go on so much longer. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> go on forever. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like even I would love to get more into like what's going on with the Mississippi court. We should probably find it an article so we can put that up so people yeah, can, can read be, about it. Read and... about it and whatnot stay informed um, for sure but just to close do you want to ask her the question or sure. should i ask the question um so as a closing thought what's some inspiration or advice that you would like to share in regards to living according to god's will and living out the love of christ specifically in the pro-life movement mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a big yeah, question great question <laughs> um, when i find that out when i find that out i will be sure to let you know but i guess just some preliminary thoughts I would say just, um, don't take things into your own hands, just surrender everything to the will of the Lord. Um, because I know for me in my, in my pro-life work, it's hard, it's easy for me to fall into the thing where I have to, um, I have to give my boss monthly statistics of the numbers that I'm, that I'm like the product that I'm, you know, bringing out every month. Mm -hmm. Um, so it can be hard not to look at that and put my entire worth in the numbers that I'm pulling in. Um, but that's not my ministry. My ministry is to not to be successful, but to be faithful. I think mother Teresa might've said that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would be my advice just to surrender everything to the will of the Lord and just to focus not on being necessary, necessarily successful and like having the accolades of, of the public and things like that, having the prestige, um, but to really strive to be faithful because the Lord will, will put everything else into place if that's your focus. Um, so yeah, I would say that's my advice. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, we should probably i was just also thought about this yes can you send us information um for the students for life office or like if you have a link for that hannah so then Mm -hmm. like if other people are listening in other dioceses like they would like to maybe get that in their diocese or whatnot yeah just to kind of spread the importance of that i mean because here we actually we have a culture project so yes they're kind of filling out that purpose but um we do (laughs) they're awesome they've been here for like seven years they're just stars (laughs) I love yeah, them. but if you want to send us, or if you have, do you have access to her office or the stuff that they're doing? Yeah. Um. So if there's any specific, uh, that way that's best to reach, that place, maybe you could send that over, and people who are maybe interested in finding out more about your work or like a website that you could point us to, uh, that would that would be pretty good if people are thinking like, hey, maybe I should go to my bishop, um, about starting mm-hmm. something like this or seeing if we can expand this ministry. So I think that would be, yeah, cool. I can absolutely do that. Um, our Catholic charities website is currently a hot mess and we're reworking <laughs> it to make a new website right now. 
So I would normally direct you there, but that's probably not the best place to go right now. I would say the biggest yeah. thing is just to look up the Diocese of Toledo. Um, I, I think it's it, it's a Facebook page. It's called Respect Life of Catholic Charities, Diocese of Toledo, something like that. Okay. Um, and you can see the things that we're doing and um, you can find out about um, things that the Students for Life Initiative is up to, um, like schools that we're meeting and events, things like that. Okay. Um, and you can see our new event that's coming up in November. We're very excited about. It'll be in Bowling Green. Our um, it's a kickoff for something that we call the Academy for Life, which is an ongoing mm-hmm. opportunity for formation mm-hmm. for students. Um, so they come um, to St. Aloysius in Bowling Green on November 13th, and we will have tons of speakers like Gabriel Vance from Created Equal, Jordan Mormon from Students for Life of America. We'll have the Culture Project missionaries again, and. Um, one of our diocesan priests, Father David Kidd, who's just a rock star, he celebrates Latin Mass downtown Toledo, but he's nice. also really great at talking about just um, living in a like truly Catholic way in, in spite of whatever the culture is telling you. So he'll be addressing how to fight cancel culture, which is really exciting. Ooh, so we'll have exciting. lots of opportunities to learn how to defend your Catholic faith in terms of pro-life apologetics from different like philosophical, spiritual, and um, um, like scientific arguments, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would encourage people to come to that and you can find that event link on the Facebook page as well. So that cool. sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. I So is that open to people outside of your diocese then? Cause I feel like, especially the girls that young girls that I work with, I mean, they are, they would totally be gobbling oh, yeah. that up. So, um, Oh, for sure. Know. I'll send you the link to, to register in it. Yeah. 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 Or the I more th- the merrier. We'll take you. Yes. And so when <laughs> you come to bake and cook with us on a Sunday for Sunday dinner sometime, can you also come talk to my high school girls too? As well? <laughs> Just make a, like a weekend of it. I would love to. Yeah. You can go talk to your middle school I would love to. Kids. Great. Yes. Yeah. Just have everybody. Have the Allison, what is it? Allison um, speaker tour. <laughs> I'm not a professional speaker by any means, but I'm happy to share my story and just whatever resources I have. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think your passion for the faith in your journey, it would speak. I mean, a lot of, I mean, this, this podcast, I'm like, I want to, I'm actually probably going to tell my high school girls to listen to it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So. Get it out there. Cool. <laughs> and I know a lot of our um, our mutual friends listen to this as well. So they're going to be like, hey, mm-hmm. look at this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yes. <laughs> so, um, yikes. <laughs> if I was thinking maybe we can do the closing quote and then we should probably say the St. Michael prayer because Ooh, I feel like we've a good just idea. been talking about a lot of stuff that, yes. you know, I can just feel, for, I can feel yes. the potential um, for pushback. Do you have any other closing thoughts, Miss <laughs> Allison? <laughs> No, just thank you so much, Hannah and Mary, for having me on today. And I hope oh, yeah. that you guys just do everything that the Lord wills for you and just that um, whatever he wills for your life, that would be. So, yeah, thanks, guys, for having me. Of yeah, course. we'll be praying for your family, for your mother, Vicki, and for all the students that you'll be impacting. Yes. So, yeah, every day. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah, so we'll um, end with the St. Michael prayer. And we have a quote that we usually close with as well. And yeah. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In nomine Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto. Amen. And our closing quote comes from St. Catherine of Siena. We've had enough exhortations to be silent. Cry out with a thousand tongues. I see the world is rotten because of silence. 
And so, yeah, thank you for thank you for joining us. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to end the recording now. Hope everybody enjoyed listening. Yeah. And yeah, definitely uh, check out the show notes so you can see what's going on with Allison's work and some other resources for the pro-life movement. And happy close to uh, Right to Life Month. See you next Thursday. All right, know you that you're all loved. Yes. Bye. Bye. <laughs>